Welcome to episode 13 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Tani Prezak, triathlon coach, personal trainer, triathlete, Endurance Planet podcast host, and model. In this episode, we discuss Tani's background in athletics, from her first triathlon experience to her new off-season passion, yoga. Tani gives the inside scoop about being a host of the Endurance Planet podcast. Lastly, Tani shares her insight on the benefits of rest, recovery, and nutrition. I hope you enjoy the show. Oh, Welcome, Tani, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Where am I finding you this morning? I am in Laguna Beach, California, where actually, it's kind of funny over here, we have a joke going that Southern California winters are obviously mild. But that said, they're so schizophrenic. I mean, one day it's going to be 80 degrees and the next day, like right now, it's, you know, low 50s and raining outside. It's, you just can't predict the weather around here. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I feel you. (laughs) So give me the background. Where did athletics come into your life? When did it happen? I've been an athlete my whole entire life. I've been involved in organized sport on and off, but thanks to my upbringing and my parents, I was introduced to like more individual kind of athletic pursuits from an early age, skiing, mountain biking, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then in high school is when I got involved in organized sport, taking up volleyball And at that time, too, we were also surfing a lot. In fact, uh, my passion for surfing has been there ever since I was in seventh grade and up until this day. And my dad and I just made plans to go out surfing this Saturday. Um, And so I was always kind of balancing, like, my individual athletic pursuits, like the surfing and stuff like that, then with organized sport. And then when I was in college, I went to San Diego State, got my degree in journalism, And at that point, I kind of wanted to stay away from organized sport because four years of volleyball year-round between club and high school was just super demanding, and it's not something I wanted to continue on in um, college. But near the end of college, I was ready to start getting back into something again, and I just wasn't really sure what it was. And, you know, just through various networking and uh, friends and stuff like that, I found triathlon and started training for my first one, bought myself a bike as sort of a graduation present, which at that point was the biggest purchase I have ever made all on my own, and I was so proud of it and everything, and uh, lo and behold, did my first triathlon shortly after I graduated in 2007, and I just fell in love with the sport. I knew from that moment, like even before I did the race, I was just like in the best spirits that day, and doing the race and finishing it, I realized like this is what I want to be doing, and this is what I want to be involved with for the rest of my life, hands down. Which out of the three sports do you feel like most comfortable with or strongest in? Probably, well, it's, a, it's actually a toss-up between biking and running. Actually, before I did my first triathlon, Um, I did a running trail race down in San Diego, and that was my first experience actually entering a race, and honestly, I didn't even know what being on the podium meant or anything like that, but I ended up, it was like a 10K in the trails, and it was hard, Um, but I ended up getting second in my age group, and people were like, you're on the podium, I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, I don't know, Um, but I got the taste of kind of a little bit of victory there, so to speak, and... I think early on, running was definitely my strength, but then when once I actually started training on the bike and putting together like a periodized plan, 
not only did I fall in love with that sport because it's one of those things where you can just your body can handle so much more mileage versus obviously running. It's, you know, a lot more pounding, a lot more impact. So once I started training more officially on the bike, I think my potential came up to par with my run. And I look at my family too. My mom is a very, very um, skilled mountain biker and cyclist herself. And so I must have those genes. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. When looking at your race results from the past few years, there's definitely, you love the half Ironman distance. Hmm. Why does that speak to you in comparison to the full Ironman distance? I think because it's easy for, it's all about the training. It, the race day, I, I would love to be able to compete in Ironmans more regularly at this point. Um, but the training and the lifestyle, they're drastically different. Um, I think half Ironman for most people, myself included, because, you know, quite frankly, I'm not sitting out there pretending to be the life of a professional triathlete. I'm super busy with my work and other things that I have going on in life. So for me, the half Ironman training works well in my life. I can manage anywhere from 10 to 16 hours of training a week and, you know, take the occasional off week if something arises and I just can't get it all done and still do pretty well. I also feel that that is a distance at which I've been able to start become uh, more competitive at. And, you know, when you kind of find what your body's liking and able to do well, I'm a competitive person. So if I can find that I can get on the podium in my age group there, I want to see my potential at that distance. And I think this is an issue with a lot of triathletes or endurance athletes in general um, when they're kind of starting out or building, you know, looking at the long term is that all of a sudden everyone wants to do like the longest and the craziest, you know, ultras, Ironman, all that stuff. But if you look at the pros, a lot of them at least, the ones who are winning Kona these days, they all spent tons of years at shorter distances before moving up the ranks. A lot of them have their roots in ITU racing where they spent plenty, plenty of years hammering out those short course races long before they got to Ironman. And a lot of that was thanks to their coaches who um, forced them to have some patience with not jumping into Ironman so soon. And again, I don't see myself on their ranks by any means, but I get that process. And for me, you know, I want to figure out the half Ironman distance really be happy with my quote-unquote career at that level, and then slowly work my way up to the Ironman distance. Ironman so far hasn't been very nice to me. (laughs) What do you find has been your most memorable race? Would you say it was Steelhead in August where you qualified mm -hmm. for Worlds or an earlier race you did? That's a good question. Um, I Each race that I've done uh, has offered something so unique, and that's another thing I love about triathlon. It's like even on the same course, you know, being that it's an outdoor sport, every day or every year that you do a race, it can offer something differently. Honestly, I think my highlight of one of my favorite races ever, um, besides the shorter stuff, because there's been a couple like small fun races I've done, like the Catalina Triathlon, which is a island that's about 26 miles off the coast of where I live, and it's kind of this little fun getaway destination. Then they do a great little sprint triathlon uh, early November, like right before the weather starts to get iffy and sketchy. Um, you know, all the little fun local races we have around here are by far you know super special to me because I really like the low-key, grassroots sort of style. Like, there's some races where they don't even do body marking, and I'm just like, heck yeah, that is so cool. 
Um, but that said, if I look at it kind of like on a bigger scale, I think actually this year at Oceanside had to be my highlight because I PR'd the course and it was, I think, my fourth year doing that particular race. It's my hometown race and the spectators and, you know, the amount of friends I have cheering out on the course, families all out, friends come down. Um, it's just... I always, even though that morning is cold and it's always a little rough to take off, you know, your clothes, get body marked and then put on the wetsuit and jump in the water. It's that race suits me very well. I don't know what it is. I even, it's just a great race. And to have a really good result there this year where I actually got second there and requalified for Vegas, even though I already had my slot, uh, it just felt really good. And I felt like at that point I was racing I think I remember on the run specifically too, like instead of just holding on for survival, I felt that I was fit enough and smart enough where I was actually racing and I had like a strategy and I wasn't, you know, totally like eating crap. I hit dark spots for sure. Um, There's no doubt about that, but it definitely, I, I felt on on that day. And in such a long race like that, what do you think of when racing? What keeps you going? You know, that's a good question. I do a lot of math, and it's funny because I hate math. You know, that my background in journalism, we always used to joke, like, journalists are not mathematicians whatsoever. Like, you give a simple math, and we're like, what? <laughs> um, which is funny because I went then went on to get my master's in um, kinesiology, which is very science and math-based, but people change, right? Um, but I do not like a lot of math. That said, when I'm racing, I am literally counting time for a large portion of things so it'll be like if I am holding a 730 pace right now what do I need to do to you know like basically kind of just figuring out like what paces I need to hold to reach certain goals um that will enter my mind a good portion of the time or you know just weighing what my current pace is versus what my goals are for myself um, looking at watts, uh, you know, on the bike, of course. Um, I don't really use heart rate. So when it comes to using math related to heart rate or anything like that, no, that's not part of the picture. It's more about just making sure I'm sticking to goals and I'm going to, you know, if, if I'm going to hit those goals, fabulous. If I'm not going to hit those goals, you know, I don't like kill myself or give up or anything like that. I just kind of um, manage the moment and make the most of it. Totally. And I know right now for you is a little bit of an off season. How Mm. are you staying active during that time? And then going forward, what do you have any upcoming races that are in the future? Yeah, yeah. So um, this off season of the year, like I kind of said, Ironman hasn't been friendly to me. Well, um, this that even half Ironman wasn't really friendly to me at the end of the year. And I think part of that, you know, it was just me trying to take on too much of this year and a touch of overtraining, if you will, and um, expecting too much of my body. So I made a commitment to take an extended off season, which I normally don't do, a minimum of three months, which normally my off seasons are a month at most. Um, and it's been going really well and there's been a lot of inactivity, which is obviously part of the goal. But one thing, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. One thing that I have found is yoga and I'm lucky to live in a community where there is abundant little studios all around. One is right across the street from where I live and it's Bikram yoga. And I just, 
I never thought I would really kind of fall in love with the whole yoga thing. It's just, you know, I'm more of an adrenaline junkie. I like getting my heart rate up. I like the long tempo runs where I'm busting my butt. Um, but to take a different perspective and be able to go into a class and shut off my mind for obviously Bikram is 90 minutes long um, and really just dedicate those 90 minutes to the practice. It was hard at first. I remember my first class, I was like thinking about other things, looking at my watch, which now I don't even wear a watch there. Um, you know, and just being like, really, is this still going on? What's, what? I bet my heart rate's only like 70 right now. Although I will say, I did wear my heart rate once to yoga because just because I was curious, it, it was a little self-experiment and didn't get that high. Um, but no, I've really, it's really done a lot for me. It's, it's allowed me, you know, the savasanas and everything to truly, um, quiet the mind and just step outside of the rest of the world and focus on me and the movements for those 90 minutes. I love it. That's awesome. Do you think you're going to be able to continue that when you're back in training in some capacity? I absolutely will. I've already signed up for a year package at the place I'm going. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to think, actually, I even though I'm not really a fan of Groupon, that's actually the catalyst that sort of got me to go because they had this fabulous deal where it was like 90% off the you know regular rate. And so I was like, you know, what can I lose if, I, if it's that steeply discounted? Um, so, yeah, trying that out, I was hooked. And I'm sure that's how Groupon and these businesses make a killing because they hooked me and I ended up spending however many hundred something million dollars it was for to continue on my package for a year. Um, and I'm planning on having it in my life minimum of once a week when I'm back to training. Uh, the goal will be two times a week. I've been going on Saturday evenings, which has been really nice. It's my new happy hour. <laughs> um, and I find that that will be a good uh, post because normally I swim and do a long run on Saturday. So I find that that will maybe be a good way to unwind after a tough day. And plus, I have issues with like posture and you know, tight muscles and things like that. So I'm already seeing the benefits of what yoga is doing for me. So it's not even just a mind thing. Like what it's doing for my body already is I concrete like differences I'm noticing. And in a yoga class, I imagine obviously the teacher is guiding you and directing you and you are one of your roles is you are a coach. And mm -hmm. so what is it like for you to be the student? I love it. It's so great. And the teachers at this particular location I haven't actually been to any other yoga classes, so if this is how it is across the board, fabulous. But they're so good at, you know, you have a class of anywhere, they get small, but anywhere up to like 20, 30 people, yet they're knowing each person by name. And for people who are newer like me, they are very good at pointing out what I'm doing wrong. Um, and even sometimes what I'm doing right, apparently I'm good at um, rabbit pose. And I can assume that's because I spent a lot of time in arrow position. But the teacher even had me demonstrate it for the class a few uh, a few sessions ago, which I was like, really? Me? I'm like total amateur newbie. But it would make sense because, you know, my spine is always rounded out like that position in arrow. Um, there are other uh, positions I am not good at whatsoever, though. So don't think that, you know, I'm all of a sudden this like pro yoga girl. But no, I think it's great to have instruction from someone else. And as a coach and as someone who teaches like strength classes too, I know that that requires a lot of attention to detail and instructing someone, telling them what to do is not an easy thing because you're telling someone how to move their body. It's, 
um, you have to know the right keywords and not give enough, but not give too much. And it's a complicated thing, especially for when you're also responsible for, you know, 20, 30 other people at the same time. So I love it and I respect the people that are able to do it correctly. And, you know, every, every cue that I've gotten, I'll take full heartedly. I mean, heck, I'd be willing to stand in front of the class and have a teacher just tear me apart and tell me everything I'm doing wrong in an effort to make me better. I don't get embarrassed about that kind of stuff. I think it's great. Awesome. And so it sounds like you're very someone who loves also being a student. Who would you say is your biggest mentor from your life, a coach you've had, a teacher, a family member, one of your biggest inspirations? Yeah, there have been so many along the way. I've been very lucky, whether it's, you know, been a professor in grad school or um, mentors I've met, you know, through just life, um, networking. I would say there's, there are a few, um, I'll, I'll quickly go through a few. So, um, my grandpa is one of them. He is a race car driver and was very famous back in the sixties and seventies, even before that, and won pretty much every prestigious race in the world and did things that at that time were just, you know, uh, the best of the best. And, you know, his, he kind of laid the foundation of what it takes to start from nothing and follow a dream and build a career out of that. And at the level that he did is just, it's so inspiring to me. So I think his influence of what he did, obviously in a time before I was born or anything like that was, has always uh, played a significant role in my life. And even though he's not actively racing like that anymore, I mean, he's, in his 80s, and he's still at his race shop every single day, and they're working on projects, like, nonstop, and he is just so, he's so full of life, and what's also great about him is that his memory is as sharp as a tack, like, that guy can tell you stories from Formula One races in the 60s, somewhere in Europe, and it's as if you're living that moment right then, it's really cool. So he's, on a broad sense, he's someone who's obviously been a part of my life um, forever, um, who's inspired me. I think secondly, I was lucky enough while I was in grad school to come along a guy who um, was also a triathlete, and we were introduced through a mutual friend, and this guy owned a gym, and we kind of just had personalities that meshed well, and he, his whole take, I guess you could say on life was that, you know, he always wants to help someone, take someone under his wing and make them... Um, if they're interested in this career, make them, you know, get it, understand it, give them the opportunity. And, of course, that person had to be legit and not just, like, jacking around and looking for a free ride. Well, thankfully, I got to be that person, and he, this, uh, my mentor, Mike, took me under his wing and let me come into his gym, learn how to do personal training with people, which is, you know, like we were just talking about with the other stuff. It's it's tough. It, you really got to know your stuff, and you're working with bodies that, and people that just are don't move right, and you got to teach them that, and it's awkward. So he opened a huge door for me by letting me step foot in his gym when I was still, you know, fairly new in the industry. Um, and then we also became really good training partners for triathlon, and we did our first Ironman together, and just had like a really fun, cool, special kind of bond like that. So. He's taught me so much along the way, and also, you know, like I said, like he's opened doors for me, and allowed. I, I still teach at his gym to this day, and I don't want to be at any other gym. Um, so that's been cool. And then, last but not least, I would say my coach Lucho. He also came in, which you know him because you thankfully listen to our show. 
he came into my life thanks to Ben Greenfield, who's also one of our co-hosts on Endurance Planet. Ben introduced us in 2011, around I think it was right after I did Ironman Canada. And at that point, I was looking for a coach. I was getting more busy coaching, and obviously, I see the value in having a coach. I knew I wanted one for myself, but I'm super, super picky. And Lucha came along, and right away, our personalities just meshed. Like, we were buds from day one. And it didn't even take any time for me to realize this is the man I want to be my coach. But as uh, if anyone listening knows, Lucho is literally has like a wait list for coaching. Like he's popular and I'm stoked for him for it. Um, but I begged him. I was like, you got to coach me. And he's like, I can totally coach you. So we teamed up at the end of 2011 and it's just been an awesome relationship since like, you know, we obviously record our uh, podcast every Wednesday morning and we usually spend a good 30 to 45 minutes just ranting and chatting and talking about my training and all that kind of stuff. It kind of, it, we always joke, it's our warm up. It gets us all like revved up and ready to go, but we have a blast together. We're emailing almost on a daily basis too. That's awesome. Yeah. And how has Endurance Planet having the show and your relationship with Lucho, how has that changed your life? Who has that introduced you to? How has that opened doors? It's so incredible. I mean, when Ben asked me to do the podcast in 2010, um, I had no idea what it would become. And I think it's it's allowed me to look, first of all, like if you look at the shows like we do with Lucha, the Ask the Coaches and Ask the Ultra Runner, where people are chiming in and asking their questions and we're answering them. I think that's allowed me to just build my knowledge and foundation even more as a coach. Because obviously I work with anywhere, you know, up to 10 athletes. I don't coach a ton of people at any given time because I just don't have time and I want to, I coach very individually. So the show then brings up all these issues and questions and situations that don't always even come up in my own practice, which is great because I'm then, you know, uh, having to answer these questions, figuring out the answers, doing more research. Um, so I think it's obviously enhanced my ability to be a more well-rounded coach for sure. It's like I, I have a bit, Lucha and I have a touch of coaching all these people in a sense that are asking these questions because as you probably know too, the questions get often complicated. You know, people lay out their whole season on our Facebook page and we're like, whoa, wait, hold on, really? <laughs> Maybe you should hire a coach, but no. Um, we do, you know, we do our best to kind of go through and break it down as best we can. So I think that's been a big benefit. But then the special episodes that I do in addition to just the regulars, you know, I'm meeting all these people that are just kind of across the board when it comes to health, wellness, nutrition, endurance, sport, and so many opportunities and friendships have formed from that. Um, for example, actually, um, I was just mentioning this to you before we started. Uh, I had a professional triathlete, Ken Schwabenbauer, on the show shortly after Kona. In fact, we met at the Slow Twitch party in Kona and had a really great conversation there. She's a great girl. She was actually at the bottom of the barrel of getting that Kona slot this year. So I was really inspired by her as someone who was like just on the cusp and made it in. And I know this day and age with the points ranking systems in Kona, it's not easy. Um, and I told her, I'm like, after Kona, when everything settles down, you got to come on the show. And I want to hear your whole story of what it was like to, you know, be kind of on that borderline. Am I going to make it in? And am I not? It's so stressful. Da, da, da. And so she and I totally hit it off just again, kind of like Lucha and I, Good point. Going back to those roots, and 
she's also a coach. She has her stuff together big time. And we're just talking about like what it's like to do what we do. And we're like, we could help other people. So I'm not going to give away any secrets yet, but we have something in the works right now. And it's going to be a fun little side project that's going to be open to everyone. It's going to be especially geared toward women, and it's going to be geared toward business as well. So um, keep your eyes and ears out for that. But that's what I'm saying, though. You know, it's like you meet these people, and something that I never even expected to be doing is now something that I'm doing on the side. And that's just how it happens. That's awesome. What else is going to be happening for you in 2014? Any big races? Any personal projects? Um, yeah, definitely. I I will not get back to official racing until uh, summer, probably sometime in June. Um, I have a few ideas on my mind of which races I will be doing, but nothing in concrete yet. Um, so I'm going to just allow myself to kind of slowly build back that base because, you know, when you take at least three months off, it def- you definitely feel it. I've been working out sporadically still and I kind of, you know, I've been working out, like last week I worked out a little bit more consistently than I have in a long time, and I, I felt okay, but the it's, I don't want to try to force it and rush it, and I think that's one of the problem, the mistakes I made this year is I had a, an injury of where I broke my wrist and had to um, recover from that and then was crunched for time and building up for Ironman, and I think trying, it not only stressed me out uh, mentally, trying to think I was trying to get all these work crazy workouts in and be Ironman fit, but obviously physically too. And so going on out, it's going to be, you know, a good timeline, setting out a good plan and not forcing or rushing anything. Um, I, I'm definitely, um, looking into getting into more of writing some eBooks, getting back to more of my writing roots. Um, like I said, at the beginning, I've come from a journalism background. So, um, it's been on my to-do list for a very long time, uh, writing some eBooks, um, and I have some ideas. In fact, I'm actually started one right now. And going back to that previous question, this was again stemmed from podcast land and meeting up with another host of a show. Uh, I don't know. Do you know Brett from Zen of the Art of Triathlon? Yeah, I listened to your interview with him. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first kind of time interacting with him. And again, like he was someone where we just kind of hit it off. We, you know, had a lot in common. Turns out he's a surfer too. So um, without giving away too many secrets, we're working on a project together related to triathlon and surfing. So that's fun. Um, And, you know, I feel like I'm on a good path right now of just continuing to build up the podcast and the things I'm doing with coaching, um, and all that kind of stuff. I just, I, I, I don't really need to change too much. I just want to continue on the same path. What do you advocate about taking time off? I know a lot of times athletes or just people who are really active, they have a really hard time taking time off. And I think it's pretty amazing how level-headed you are about it. And so what do you say to someone who's nervous about taking that time? You have, are you talking about off season or just like resting in between? Resting in between. Okay. So resting, like you can't get more fit if you're not allowing your body to recover. And I think there's a trap that we fall into is that if we don't have something on the schedule and if it's, there's a blank day on whatever, you know, there's no workout posted, you, there's almost a sense of fear. So I think a lot of it is more psychological than it even is like the need to like physically work out because you're probably going to be tired 
So it's, I think it's a psychological issue. And um, I think we all need to come to terms with realizing that without this adequate rest and recovery, there's no way you're going to be able to hit that run or that bike or that swim hard and well the next day. You're going to continue. You build, build, build. You rest, and then you build, build, build again. But if you just continue to build, 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 eventually you're going to reach that breaking point, and either injury is going to occur or mental, you know, some sort of breakdown is going to occur, and then you're going to have forced rest and recovery that's not fun. Um, I think it's just being at peace with it, though, you know, just understanding that there's a goal to doing nothing as well. It's not that you're just sitting around being lazy um, I know sometimes for people it gets hard because there's a problem I think that I see in endurance sports, um, and it could be more with women. I would assume, I can't say that for sure though, is that the whole uh, diet issue too with people, not necessarily being on a diet, but just eating in general. And I think that people sometimes um, eat to train or train to eat. Sorry trained to eat so they're only training to burn those calories so they, then they can therefore eat whereas the opposite should be true you should be eating to train and eating to feel your body so I, I think that how that relates to those rest recovery days is that people get so used to you know training and then eating and like they can't eat without training um, that then it becomes this like well what do I do on a day where I'm not working out then I therefore must you know either restrict calories or they're just you know they're kind of so um, I think having a healthy relationship with food is definitely an important part of it too. So this to me is a good practice for learning how to listen to your body too. I'm very much a fan of intuitive eating. You know, I do nutritional consulting with a lot of my clients, but and for certain people in the beginning, we will work on counting calories and balancing energy expenditure versus energy needs. But the goal is to make that person able to listen to what hunger feels like and what um, being satisfied feels like and then just um, being able to run off that and listen to their body completely and feeling that way. And I think resting, especially I've, I've actually noticed this a lot even in my off season right now to I joke like, oh, this is what a normal person feels like hungry because normally it's like I am hungry 24-7 and I'm like, okay, what am I going to get my, be able to get my hands on next? And now I have like normal people hunger and it's kind of nice because I'm not having to worry about food 24-7. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. What is your go-to snack? Oh man, avocados. <laughs> you know actually something I've been doing a lot lately because I try, I my weakness, my weakness in life is like chips and crunchy crackers and all that kind of stuff. So I try to keep <laughs> that those to a minimum. My, I will snack a lot on baby carrots and I just like those straight up. But something else that I like these days is shredded dried coconut. Mm. And I get the unsweetened one to avoid any unnecessary sugar. And if that, the, so the coconut, uh, dried like that, it almost kind of satisfies that neat or that craving that I'll get for chips because it is kind of crunchy and good. Um, and it's got like a subtle sweetness to it. That's been a go-to snack of mine that I can just have. And it's higher in fat, too, and denser in calories. So a little goes a long way in that sense. And um, that and nuts. I get raw nuts and I sprout or I soak and sprout them. So I definitely, when it comes to snacking, I try to go for more high-fat items because if I need a snack, that obviously means, like, I don't want to be spiking my blood sugar with something silly and then just feeling even more artificially hungry two minutes later. 
Um, I want to be able to, you know, satisfy that to the full extent. Do you have anything on your wish list for Christmas, whether that be a gear related, a book that you're really wanting to read right now? Um, I want a new bike, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Um, I do want, actually one of the things I want for my kitchen there, I want a couple things, a dehydrator and a juicer. Um, I actually, today I'm doing a one day juice cleanse and this is actually something you mentioned before, it's 2014. I'm going to be working with a company that does raw food and juice cleanses. They're based in San Diego and they're making their way to Orange County and um, I'm friends with them and going to be teaming up with them as kind of an ambassador slash sponsored athlete of theirs. And I really love what they're doing because they're providing really super quality fresh juices that are cold pressed and raw food. So instead of just your typical juice cleanse where it's just juice, they're literally incorporating food into it as well, but raw and quality and um, pure and great. I've done it before. Um, and they're called Beaming, if anyone's interested or if anyone's in the Southern California area that wants to get in on that. It's great stuff. And so, like I said, I'm doing one of their cleanses today just for the heck of it. In fact, I am a bit of a coffee addict, and I was a little nervous that I wouldn't have that caffeine spike for our show. But I think I'm doing all right, right? You're doing great. <laughs> and you look beautiful, um, too. So I, I've been inspired to do a little side projects in the kitchen, and one of those is juicing. And I know everyone says, like, you know, it's so messy and you have to buy so much, but I think every now and then it would be kind of fun to be able to create some good juices based on my own. I mean, I see what this company, Beaming, is putting together in their packages and the combinations of uh, juices that they're putting together, and it's pretty interesting and delicious stuff. Um, plus, I'm also a big fan of beet juice. And I use that for performance-enhancing reasons when I'm doing triathlon. However, making beet juice in the Vitamix, I've gotten to the point where I can't even handle that anymore because it leaves yeah. the pulp in there, and it makes me want to gag. <laughs> I love beet juice, but the pulp that you get with it in a typical blender is like, bleh. <laughs> this girl needs a juicer. So when you talk about intuitive eating, I know you eat meat, but it also sounds yeah. like you love raw food and juice. How, what would you say, what guides your everyday, what guides what you eat? Is it the intuitive? Yeah, for sure. Well, part of it's like calling my boyfriend and being like, hey, let's go to Whole Foods after we're done with work or whatever and see what they have um, in their counter. And honestly, half the time I eat meat, it's based on what Whole, Food ha Whole Foods has that's organic and or grass fed or whatever. Um, you know, I, I try to only buy my meats from good sources like that. So actually it's funny yesterday we had steak on Monday or Tuesday night. Right now it's Thursday. Yesterday I had st leftover steak. And I'm like, I better eat my red meat cause tomorrow is all about raw food, vegan stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, my goal with all of it is just to keep a good variety always you know, on any given on any given week, we're having red meat, chicken, fish. Um, you know, I'll do like some s certain organic sausages and pork stuff like that, um, and just keep a good variety of that going. With vegetables, I shop at the farmers market every Saturday, and what once started as a twenty dollar habit has now turned into more of like a forty dollar habit. Mostly because now we're even buying our eggs there too because oh, they have nice. amazing pasture-raised eggs and everything. Um, but 
yeah, that, so that goes back to the whole idea of being intuitive. Well, I'm just buying what they have available there. And obviously that's changing with the seasons. Um, and then other than that, it's, again, it just comes to, you know, if your body's craving something, there's obviously something going on. There are times when, heck yeah, I'm craving something more carbolicious and I will give into that. I do not deny myself. And I think that's the key to making it work too, is not denying yourself if you're craving sweets, find out why you're craving sweets. You know, for chocolate, for example, that's a lot of times that can show magnesium deficiency. So that's another thing too. It's like using what you're feeling and craving and wanting through food as a way to become a healthier, more well-rounded person as well. Awesome. I think you're a natural yogi and you don't <laughs> totally realize it because yoga, Apparently, like, huh? the essence is really just listening to your body. And you're yeah. already doing that. It's awesome. So to yeah. close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions for you. Okay. Fun. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Easy. Mountains or oceans? Ocean. But that's tough. <laughs> Smoothies or juices? Um, uh, I think the old me would say smoothies and new me saying juices. Cool. Apples or oranges? Apples. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tani, for making time in your crazy schedule to fit in a podcast. And It's my pleasure. And, you know, I think last week we were supposed to get this done and my worst nightmare happened where my internet died and I had back-to-back podcast schedules. And I'm like, no, please. So, yeah, I'm glad we were able to get it on. And thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. I'm so excited to dip in and listen to some of your previous interviews at this point now. Awesome. And you're headed to a yoga class. I'm headed to I am. I'm so excited. I'll be thinking of you during yoga. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Om. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of the Running on Om podcast with Tawny Prezak, triathlon coach, personal trainer, triathlete, Endurance Planet podcast host and model. Check out runningonom.com for links to Tawny's sites. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.